Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I'm really, clones. I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. Dyed my hair, changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. The next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. Welcome back, Cloneheads, to another episode of Clone Saga Chronicles. I am your host, Zach Joyner, and we are I'm joined by Gerard Delatour. That is I. Joshua Lappin Bertoni. That was I. And Donovan Morgan Grant. Yes, the sex the sex machine. I forgot what I was gonna say. I was, I was gonna come up with this big lead in, but I forgot what I was gonna say. Typical Donovan. Okay, you you'll also notice that there's only four of us on this episode because, well, the very special guest uh, never did get back to me on time, so we're Howard Mackey. <laughs> it was it was Howard Mack. It was actually Glenn Greenberg. This episode I am very very excited about because we're covering the Lost Years miniseries. Now you've heard us talk about this thing probably incessantly on this show, and, and we've alluded to it, we've talked about it, we just kind of briefly discussed it. Um, before we get started, what? Uh, just not speci- don't not not get into specifics, but what do you guys think of the uh, just the impact of the miniseries? Well, I don't know if it had an impact because any further because this is supposed to essentially be the first of many on the road Ben Riley miniseries that never really happened. I don't know if impact is the right word because ultimately it didn't end up going anywhere. It's one of the most well, different what? Spider-Man stories that that there's ever been. Like I I would almost say that you cannot tell the story with Peter Parker unless like you dramatically change the status quo of Peter Parker. And I think that it's it's basically the origin of modern John Romita Jr. Yes. from Spider-Man. That's, that's the first that kind of comes to mind. Obviously, we look at it because it's a visual piece, but uh, I would say, that, yeah, I would agree with that. This is a story that, uh, and I'll get into it a little bit later, on one part, sort of a part of his time, but another part, it's a very different Spider-Man story, but it relates, to, it, it comes back to Spider-Man in a very thematic way that works really well and almost defies what else was was put out in the time, you know, you know, in the comic industry. And uh, for that, it's very, very well done. Do you guys, uh, do you guys get the similar vibe that I do? That this is kind of similar, almost like Ben Riley's version of, say. Batman Year One or Daredevil the Man Without Fear? I, I did get a very, very... Um, it, it's impossible not to draw the parallels between Daredevil Man Without Fear just because of the art team. Because yeah. uh, Klaus Jansen inked that too, didn't he? Right? Man Without Fear. Romita Jr. also so. did Man Without Fear. Yeah, so yeah I, there, there's I, that. And it's, Al, Al, Al Williamson inked that one. 
right? Yeah. You know, and so. you know, crooked cops, and you know, you know, girls at coffee shops, and you know, little boys of police chiefs getting kidnapped. Holy God, this adds up. Personally, for me, <laughs> when I first started reading the first issue uh, today, you know, to do this podcast, I got a very, very, very strong renegade vibe from this, which is an old, you know, '90s television show, which <laughs> is a part of a you know, long-haired dude uh, driving a motorcycle, being a nomad, saving people. That's like. That's the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, at, at first I was like, wow, this is insanely dated. But obviously the story gets so much better later on. But uh, I think personally that um, this kind of matches a lot of stories told the talk, you know, the loner, you know, like the, the badass dude who doesn't want to do the right thing, but oh darn it, he can't help himself. But it does go further than that and actually equips itself very well into being a much deeper story for, yeah, comic books and, uh, and uh, Spider-Man. Uh, as well as, you know, stuff told in Marvel at the time. Oh, a lot of what Ben Riley says in this book is, like, almost said verbatim by came, which is, oh, I don't want to be a hero. Oh, you know, I just want to be in this town for a little while and move on. But, oh, you know, now there's this crisis and I have to be a hero and I hate having people in my life. It's <laughs> it's, it's as much Kane's story as it is Ben Riley's story. And in that well, regard, that that as we go. Yeah, in that regard, I think we're jumping think ahead of ourselves at this point. Yeah, in that regard, I uh, I would say that that's where the impact is. I think it's just so profoundly it so profoundly influences the current the current book. I, that, that's that's kind of where I was getting at. I, Yost has been on record saying that this is the miniseries that profoundly influences one of the many, one of the two miniseries that really influences the character of Kane on the, on the current Scarlet Spider book. Well, this is one of the few times that Kane gets any overt development, right? I mean, how many stories can you pick out off the top of your head that Kane was a huge... The trial of Peter Parker, of course. Like, because most of his role was just lurking around in the shadows and not knowing anything about him, so... And being killed over and over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Kane Zero, Death Three. He's the killer of the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, (laughs) Kane can never die. Oh my god, can you imagine if Kane got the Phoenix Force? That would really be on. I'm not a man. I'm a phoenix. <laughs> now, now that's what I call the walking dead. Wink. Oh, how topical. You can tell this is made in 20. Okay, anyway, I, I just kind of wanted to get everybody's thoughts on that before we get started. So, before we, before we really get into the the meat of the miniseries, there was an issue zero, yes? This was the age of uh, the 90s, and there was an issue zero. Now... Bertone, you're going to have to help me. I think this we covered, covered that. Yeah, we kind of we ta- I just wanted to kind of touch upon it because it's been so long since we talked about it. There was a series of backups in the same month that issue 400 came out. Uh, I think it was Spider-Man 63, Spectacular Spider-Man 223 and the, the issue Spider-Man 0 400. stuff was before 400 too because um like in Power and Responsibility, there's the flip book where like if you turn the book upside down, and, like, uh, backwards, there's a story in the back of... And each of the books that month had the story of Ben Riley escaping from the clone pod. That was yeah. in Issue Zero? Yeah, it's, 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 Issue yeah. Zero reprints, like, a series of backups, yeah. I knew it reprinted the, the Parker legacy backups that Zach just referred to. I didn't realize it reprinted the other stuff. Huh. So, um, if you have the trade, which is... Uh, which I do. You know, which trade are we talking here? The Clone Saga trade? Clone, Epic Clone Saga uh, trade, uh, volume one. Volume one, yeah. It actually 
takes all of the birth of a Spider-Man and Parker legacy and actually puts it before Lost Years. I was going to say, because I, I wanted to mention really briefly, I'm actually reading the original Lost Years trade from, when was this printed? August of 1996, which oddly enough does not have issue zero in it. It's just the first three. It's, uh, issues one through three. This is one where, like, uh, ben, like, like, they explain after the original clone saga, the Ben Riley, uh, Ben Riley in the Spider-Man costume went and saw like Peter having sex with Mary Jane and screams, <laughs> screams in the rain. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the page right now, and I'm. And then he tells that like fat guy on the bus to kill himself. Yeah. And then he's like, "What are you doing? I told you to kill yourself. I didn't mean kill yourself." Can't you listen? <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong. You never told me your name, Ben. Ben Riley. Sorry, Lorenzo Lamas is Ben Riley. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to. I may have to get this. Oh, I'll, I'll give you because like like Renegade rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you may have to. You, you may have to you give me the MP3. Wait, that. I'll, I'll you play. never said things, and you'll never have to. Or no, I. I, 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 I anyway, so that that's what that's if you're if you. Are at the back issue bin, and you see the uh, lost years number zero. That's what it collects. So if you've already got the original issues, uh, there's no need to buy the issue zero. Please see old episodes of Clone Saga Chronicles where we covered those individual backups. Uh, quick, <laughs> quick question, Zach. Did uh, I, I, I vaguely remember that issue zero came out the same month that issue one came out? But did you ever confirm that? Is that true? Uh, I love the rain. <sighs> yeah. Don, oh, talk- you can help me. Who was it? Was it Brian Hitch who said that uh, nobody draws a rainstorm like John Romita Jr. does? Isn't that to say, like, John Romita Jr. has, like, rain? Well, I mean, John Romita Jr., this is his kind of story. Like, this and, like, the the Mackie run of Peter Parker is, like, this kind of dark, brooding, okay. like, like crime story. To me, it's like, I'm not, he must love this kind of stuff. He really does, because he excels at it, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lost Years number zero, interesting fact, came out the same month as Sensational number zero, which was January of 1996. So it came out after Lost Years. After. It came out after <laughs> Lost Years. <laughs> I mean, even though DC Comics did that too, like did issue zeros like after the issue ones, it's just, it's very, very rare that like you hear like a miniseries that's like over and done with, like they add on an issue zero. <laughs> That's baffling. Why wouldn't they not just release that first? Yeah, because Marvel uh, doesn't care about counting in numerical order. I'm shocked they didn't just pull out negative one for that one. Well, they didn't. They didn't have the minus one until like two years later. <laughs> Lost years pie issue pie sign. <laughs> okay, so issue one of Lost Years came out in August of 1995. Um, Did it, Zach, it, or is that the cover date? Nitpicky people will get will cut your throat for saying the wrong answer here. Excuse me, everyone knows that comic cover dates are blah 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 blah. I sure hope you get fired for that blunder. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, but issue actually uh, briefly, issue one was available on Comicsology for free. So, oh, you mean you mean when they destroyed Comicsology by releasing everything for free at once? Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, that, so you know what? I think that was some sort of sinister plot. That was some sort of sinister plot. They never intended anyone to ever get their hands on any of those. They're like, yeah. oh, we'll, we'll release them all for free at once, so that no one will download them. <laughs> well, this is an, that's an exact quote. You have no faith in anyone in this world. Do you? <laughs> the answer 
is no. <laughs> I'm looking to see like how much they are on Comixology right now. Well, even issue, issue zero is one ninety. They're all one ninety nine, including issue zero. But I think issue zero should be like ninety nine cents. Wait a minute, weren't these issues less expensive than that when they came out? Uh, yeah. These books were one fifty or one seventy five at the time. Anyway, well, they have to reprint the paper for the digital file. All right, issue one of Lost Years came out in August of nineteen ninety. Well. Excuse me. It's cover dated August 1995. Uh, it has 27 pages. It's, uh, the first issue is called Strangers. Written by J.M.D. Mateus, art by John Romita Jr., and Klaus Jansen was the inker. It starts, like most John Romita Jr. drawn scenes, apparently, with the rain. In traffic. Uh, in traffic, yes. We start with a mystery man saving a guy who, ha- who has a near heart attack behind the wheel. He saves him. He also saves a family from dying in a head-on collision. The mystery man, of course, is the ever-amazing Ben Riley. We cut to the other main man of this mini as as we are introduced to Kane. Now, Kane is in his Rob Zombie garb, as we like to refer to it as. He's got the big long beard and the and the big long hippie hair. He's in the seediest part bar in town. Yes, the seediest bar in Salt Lake City, Utah. Both yeah, seeds and salt. It's probably the only CD bar. It's probably the only bar in Salt Lake City. I may be wrong on that. But Zach, have you ever been to Salt Lake City? I don't, don't know. Throw but... stones. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, I live in Texas. You know, we have the saloons on every street corner. So, <laughs> anyway, it's the Wild West back here. Um, in the 1800s. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, of course, attracts some unseemly people. <laughs> Because a prostitute tries to hit on Kane, and you know Kane doesn't say anything. Kane, his pimp, the pimp shows up. Kane, you know, uses his pimp hand to take out the pimp and breaks his neck against the bar. Kane then gives uh, the prostitute a hundred dollar bill as he's walking out. Louise Kennedy is introduced, and uh, he tells him, "I don't have a name. I was never born. But you, you can call me Kane." Needless to say, the uh, one of the more seedy individuals. Hey, is also Kane, that, 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 that's a name. You can't say you don't have a name and then give her a name. Just saying. Whoops. You can call Oops. me Ray, or you can call me Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy the Mouth tries to, I, I, don't, if, I guess, you know, get a hold of Louise. I, I, the, the way the scene is, is like she just punches him in the gut, and then he's like, you know, humiliated. Nobody so. does it Jimmy the Mouth. Yeah, nobody does it to Jimmy the Mouth. Jimmy the Mouth is humiliated, and Louise Kennedy cuts to um, her and her partner, named Jacob Raven. That's not a familiar name to this show. Uh, discussing about how the world is getting a little bit darker, and Jacob Raven just because he's Mormon thinks that uh, there are still good people out there. I'll cut that line if I were you. <laughs> a Mormon in Salt Lake City. <gasps> Right, that was my whole point. There has to be a token Mormon, because we're in Salt Lake City. A token uh, Mormon? What a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody anyway. off camera is Mormon, you just don't know it. Yeah, yeah, like, like there's an actual phrase in this book, that's your Mormon programming talking, okay? So, uh, take of that what you will. Is that what the big uh, Marvel, Marvel Comics Mormon lawsuit was all about? <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't know there was a Mormon lawsuit at all. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> oh my god, Zach, really? <laughs> well, I walked into that one. Yes, I did. 
<laughs> you belong to the Mary Marvel Marching Mormon Society. Make mine Mormon. <laughs> All right, so we, we uh, cut to a seedy-looking individual in the in the jail. Um, he's got his pencil mustache, and he's uh, looking awfully happy for some reason. A guard then shows up to speak to him, and I guess check out, check in on him. But uh, this Tannen individual um, basically is told that everything's all set. Because after he orders the hit, which we don't know who the hit is ordered on necessarily, we cut to the science department at the university uh, with Ben Riley's impressive credentials, and thanks to a letter from Doctor Trainer, one of the most respected scientific minds in the country, which kind of makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Uh, they offer him a job uh, as a teaching assistant. Ben, you know, because he's worked himself up an appetite looking for a job, he goes to the local diner where he discusses, uh, maybe I'll have a bagel. No, no, make a toast. Where we are introduced for the very first time to... Mm, to oh. It's like her water need. clone. <laughs> it's only her water clone, yes. Uh, where she re- then repeats off his order being chased by a clown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jacob Raven then shows up at the diner um, with f- looking for his usual. Janine acts a little bit flustered. Uh, ben kind of lo- acts all gruff and tough, but he actually says he likes the guy in his narration. Raven leaves. Uh, ben then try- dis- decides he's going to ask Janine out. She then says no. As Ben walks out, she says she softly says yes. Ben asks if he heard that right. Yes. And so, yes, they are going on a date. We then cut to Jimmy the Mouth. Actually, was supposed to meet up with uh, Miss Louise. But Duke, instead, meets up with her. So, after they start checking the stuff out, Louise then pulls out her gun and her badge before being ambushed by two more men. Kane, well makes his dramatic crashing-through-the-window entrance, and he subsequently takes out all three of the men. When he dispatches them, she asks, she asks him, So, now what? Kane can think of a few things. The irony of this statement, <laughs> considering what happened in the last, uh, the last issue, we, or last arc we, re- we covered on this show with uh, Kane in the current book, kind of makes me laugh. Kane can get him some. Let's put it that way. Anyway. Somehow. We then cut... We then cut to Jacob Raven missing the bus once again. So he begins to walk home. As he uh, was walking, as he begins his walk home, he gets uh, kidnapped and thrown into a vehicle. We then cut to Ben riding his motorcycle because that's what Ben Riley does. Clean shaven, it looks like, when his spider sense goes berserk, knocking him so bad that it knocks him off his bike. He then arrives at the door near near the front of the of of the house where it explodes. Ben then instantly goes into Spider-Man mode where he gets the two poor unfortunate souls out of out of the out of the debris caused by the explosion. He then jump, gets to another rooftop and starts leaping leaping around remarking that in those there were times like those that he was Spider-Man. We then cut to Louise who is uh, blissfully in um, post-coitus, post yeah, yeah we'll use the we we'll, yeah we'll use that term when she receives 
He got the mark of Cain, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make sense a lot later. Anyway, so Louise gets uh, gets a phone call telling her that there was some sort of explosion at her partner's house. He's missing, but his wife, his little boy, they don't know if they're going to make it. She asks him to hold her and don't ever let go. Then we get a confirmation that, yes, it was a bomb, all right. That the woman in there was nearly dead. The boy... However, was looks like he was going to make it. Ben, checking in on the two of them, remarks that uh, he's going to stay out of it. He's going to not be a part of it. That he can take care of himself. That if he got into this war, he'd start and never stop. Which then cuts to a scene where we see Jacob Raven with a gun to his head and steely eyes. Next issue, Ben Riley versus Kane. We'll be right back. All right, so uh, instead of going through into each individual issue, we're going to have Gerard do the recap of number two. Hold on a second. There's actually a caption there. It says, next issue, Ben Riley versus Kane. Yeah. Huh. there is. Because yeah. I'm, here I'm reading it in the, in the old trade. They actually have, I can actually see the uh, the little tattered speech or caption box that it's in, but they blacked out the letters. Oh, that's oh. weird. Which is really strange. So you can't actually see that. It just ends with, you know, not take care of himself. Maybe, and they got the they panel. Maybe they did that for the, uh, the trade because it was obvious what was going to happen next. <laughs> I don't know. It's the trade also, like, doesn't have the covers with cover copy or any of the credits on the inside. It's just... Yeah, I used to hate how old trades would try and, like, you know, because they wanted to be, like, killing joke and stuff. Like, oh, you know, we can't let people know that these used to be individual issues. Like, old trades didn't have covers, and they would try and take out, like individual credits and stuff and it would make pages look really really awkward because you could tell like pages that had been filled with writer and artist credits didn't have it anymore and things that said next issue didn't anymore yeah but this is even this is even weirder because instead of just taking out the lettered part they actually literally just 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 slap some black paint over it like it's really awkward looking yeah yeah on that that trade of you know them, them being nervous that people would suspect we can't yeah. have them know that this isn't a real graphic novel. They, the pretentious people won't love us anymore. Well, they, they've reversed on that now because, you know, obviously in the clone trade that I have, between every issue is the cover of the original issues. And, like, you know, other covers like uh, the newly presented Death of the Family uh, trade for DC, the individual issue covers are in between each chapter. So I think that's like a, uh, a mark of the uh, mark of the past. When did that trade come out? Like in the 90s still? 96. 96 is what it's Gerard's copy. They did did the same thing with, I think, the Revelations trade, too. The the Clone Genesis trade, like, it's it's really bizarre because it's, um, the whole thing they take at, like, and I'm talking about the original one, not the original Clone Saga trade, but, like, the 90s Clone Genesis trade. The writer and artist credits are, like, completely off of there, and there's pages with just, like, a lot of negative space where, like, nothing is happening, where, like, the next issue thing was, or where, like, the big silver and bronze age titles that they used to have were, because titles were huge back then, and, like, mm-hmm. big letters and covered half the page. They're all literally whited out, <laughs> and they're missing parts yeah. of Spider-Man's head. <laughs> Yeah, it's really bizarre. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. I skimmed to the end of issue two. There's literally just a giant black box there. <laughs> oh, Gerard, geez, do you have the title pages on your trade? It just has it just says part two intimacies, but there are no there are no credits in there. <laughs> We're saying part two because it's a, it's like a chapter book. Come on, yeah. 
it's really us. it's really Love poorly us. put together. Anyway, I should probably start recapping this so we could actually be done some point tonight. Issue number two, same same credits as the first one. It's you know written by J.M.D. Mateus, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Klaus Jansen, and colored by Christy Shield with color separations by Heroic Age. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is back when they used to credit color separations as a separate thing because it was still in the early days of the computer-generated separations. People didn't care. Okay, so we begin with Ben attempting to make Salt Lake City seem like a badass place. Whether or not he succeeds is their own business. While Jacob Raven is being held hostage at gunpoint in the last, in the back seat of a car, Ben, wearing a ridiculous makeshift outfit where he has, like, green fingerless glove wraps, and he has sort of, a, like, a scarf tied around his face with a really, really long tail. Like, he didn't bother to, to like, clip that or anything, so anybody could just grab that and just start swinging him around. But anyway, standing in the middle of the street, in the rain, of course, as we've stated, it's either night, raining, or raining at night in this comic. He's standing in the middle of the road as the car as the car approaches with the bad guys in it. The bad guys, in typical evil dude fashion, floor it so that they can try to flatten him. But he leaps into action, takes out the car, and a really awesome thing that he does, he grabs it and actually flips it over, takes and takes them all out one by one, I guess. Well, most of them are in the car, but he the one of the guys gets a special treatment of getting his ass kicked off panel and saves Jacob Raven who who gets some uh, a black eye and a bleeding nose and temples for all of his troubles. He's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he just has a severe concussion. He'll be all right. Luis shows up at that exact moment with the rest of the Luis shows up with the rest of the police informing a partner that his wife and son something has happened to them, Jacob. Ben, in typical Clone Saga fashion, is on a ledge, angsting about his inability to keep his nose out of the doo-doo, because, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Nearby, (laughs) well, he actually just says power and responsibility, but whatever. Nearby, Kane is also similarly angsting about uh, how things are actually going well for a change, you know, happiness and Louise and all that stuff. Back in the prison, Cannon's pocketed guard informs the criminal that Raven's wife has been killed, but the son looks like he's going to make it. After a short, typical scene of Raven sitting in a church worrying, we see Ben in his new job as a teaching assistant instructing some students under the watchful eye of the professor. His performance must be pretty good because the prof informs him that he has the job permanently. Although, if I'm not mistaken, this is probably the last time we see him doing the job. But anyway, on his way out, he runs into Janine, and despite being angry at him for breaking their date from the previous night, she ends up spending the rest of the day with him. And I can't let this scene go by without mentioning this is this is the, the, the splash page here is the one that Steve Wacker totally messed up and thought it was Peter and Mary Jane. They reprinted it as such in a, in a brand new day issue. But no, this in fact, is, it was the uh, it was who has been Riley. It was yeah. Daniel. Was it? No, the it was either that. The, it was either the one with the, with the first appearance of Raptor. That, oh, yeah. Okay, that would be the annual. Yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that, that's the first thing I thought when I saw this page, too. But I, how do you make that mistake? Like, I am. I, I really hope that he wasn't flipping through this book and saw it, because the, then that's really, really lazy. I'm really hoping that he just saw, like, a Google image photo montage or something and, like, tucked this away. I mean, this is a very Peter and Mary Jane looking 
<laughs> Ben and Janine. There's no question about it. But then again, Janine is supposed to look like Mary Jane. I think that's sort of the point. Yeah, but, like, but Janine, actually, I mean, he has the red hair and crap. But, like, she actually does look different than Mary Jane. Like, like to me, like, you can look at that face and see that she's a different person, which I suppose they didn't have enough faith in John Romita Jr. to do that, but who knows? Yeah, well... That's a that's an argument that could rage all night, I guess. It is an argument, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get accused of brand new day bashing again, so I better move on from this For the quick. first time ever. <laughs> that night, Ben does a little more of his uh, heroine, while Kane makes some time with his lady. As they stand watching the, the stars and having some uh, wistful conversation. In the wee hours of the morning, Raven's son is kidnapped from his hospital bed. Dun, dun, dun. Late, later that week, Ben and Jeanine are getting hot and heavy, but unfortunately for Ben, Janine does not put out. Louise, on the other hand, is getting the old special from Kane when he begins to wig out and physically degenerate, <laughs> causing him to leap out the window screaming, Make it stop! Specifically here, it looks like his uh, his skin, is, is his hand in particular, his arm is sort of exploding from the inside and his skin is peeling off and, uh, well, at the risk of saying something that's going to get bleeped out, it's a good thing he wasn't giving Janine the old, or, or he wasn't giving Louise the old, you know, special or anything like Louise that. Like, that could have like, gotten ugly. She was like, still got it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in a shady warehouse, they have a bunch of criminals, including Jimmy the Mouth, doing, you know, typically criminal things. It looks like there's, what is going on here? It's like a drug deal and money's being exchanged and all that stuff. When Ben appears to kick their asses, as he tends to do, Jimmy tries to make his escape, but he's cut off by a now horribly deformed Kane, who has sort of a... Uh, his eyes have just completely whited over his face. He's straight up Rob Zombie, you know, right at this point. Where, like, his face is melting and his hair looks like it's twice as long as it was. And he's got these nasty sores popping up all over him. He sees... It sounds like Rob Zombie. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, you did not. <laughs> Sorry. I need to go make a horrible remake movie. Uh, so... He sees Ben there, and of course, as Kane tends to do, he immediately lays into Ben, beats the hell out of him, throws him under some stuff, he's swinging him around, he does as I suggested somebody would, and actually grabs him by the tails of his mask wrap thing, and actually swings him around and uppercuts him, it's nasty. So, while Kane runs away while this is all happening, after he leaves Ben in a bleeding heap on the ground... Looks like uh, Jimmy the Mouth walks up to him, grabs him, puts a gun on him, and no, the tables are turned because Louise comes out and she puts a gun on Ben Riley. <gasps> and we find out Mr. Tannen is out of prison, and he has Jacob Raven's son. No, what a divorce! <laughs> Literally, to be your Last they're, year's concludes next month. That's what's in the box that you don't have. <laughs> I was just going to say, somebody's got to read that box for me, because I have a, a empty black box here. <laughs> it says nothing. Yeah. Last year's concludes next month. <laughs> All right, so that leads to Donovan, your rundown. Spider-Man, the Lost Years will be right back. <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's like the third Simpsons reference this episode. And it won't be the last one. Spider-Man The Lost Years Part 3, Dematis, or Dematteis, Ramita Jr., Jansen. Now, bear with me because I'm in a position, I, I explained this before the podcast, that uh, I have to hold my mic with one hand and hold the comic with the other hand. So, bear with me as I go through this stilted and 
horribly prepared for a synopsis, but the issue is so good, I could probably do it off the top of my head. Now, we conclude this uh, epic story with Kane, you know, raging out at the sight of his beloved Louise, betraying everything he knew about her. As she holds a gun to Ben Riley's beaten face, Tannen says, yeah, okay, blow this man's brains out in front of this child. She says, I really don't want to do that because he's such a child. And they kind of have a back and forth about that, but they convince, okay, whatever, let's get the boy out. And now kill him. Yes, sir. So, um, it's at that point where Kane's rage quit goes into full caption mode as we see these huge letters, Louise, as he crashes down, looking like a monster because he's totally, uh, degenerated, you know, off of his gourd. So he screams, Betrayal! I kill you! So, um, she's kind of flipping out because Kane's trying to attack her. Uh, Ben actually tries to stop Kane from doing this, even though Kane, you know, beat the stuff out of him on last issue. But he's no avail because Kane's, you know, spider strength is at a maximum at this point. Um, he actually tries to throw a crate over his head, and, you know, like a cartoon that never works. So, um, the clone degeneration attacks him even further, and everybody tends to escape. Ben actually tracks down, um, Jimmy the Mouth, you know, and, uh, socks him in the mouth and knocks him unconscious, and, uh, saves Jacob Ravens' boy. He goes back to Jacob Ravens, um, is it his house or is it the hospital room? I think it's the hospital room, where, yes. um, the boy was kidnapped, and, um, he says, you know, I hate God, I hate him so much, he betrayed me, and, uh, but I can't, he, uh, this is all, you know, past tense, uh, narration, so he talks about how angry he was at God, and yet, he still had a smallest glimmer of faith. And that faith was rewarded because right outside the window, in the rain without an umbrella or a coat, is his son saying, Daddy, so, um, or Papa, excuse me. And uh, son and father are reunited. Ben says that her, uh, tells Raven that his partner Louise was at the scene, but doesn't tell her anything further because he doesn't really want to shatter his faith in uh, his partner. So he goes back to Janine's place. And topples over because he's basically been running on an adrenaline due to the massive beating that he took. And he comes to, his face is all lumpy, like Ramita Jr. likes to give his, his Peter Parkers. And um, she wants to know what the deal is. He says, you know, I, I just can't tell you. But what's the deal with you? Why are you I, I see those bags there. Why are you going to leave? And she says, but I just can't tell you. And um, there's a bit of a conflict because these two have some secrets to tell. We cut towards the, um, the Aces 8's bar where we see uh, Bill Tannen basically really upset about Louise, the, the affairs that have happened, you know, the boy is still alive, and he's implicated because uh, the people who can implicate him are still alive, and he's mad at Louise because she promised him the world since she was, you know, a cop. But, uh, sacre bleu, King shows out of nowhere and snaps his head in twain. Uh, he still really, really wants to kill Louise, but before we can see him do that, we cut back to Janine and Ben, Janine tells Ben about the horrifying story of her life. As a child, she was, uh, it's not explicitly stated, but you can kind of tell what's going on. She was, uh, sexually assaulted by her father. Um, I think she says every day until she's about 17. Uh, so understandably, you can, you know, you can know where she's coming from when she finally reveals that she, she killed him until he was dead with the gun. Um, so she says, Ben, you must hate me. And he, of course, she says, no, no, I, I love you. I, I love you, Janine. Um, and I think by this point she says her name's not, not Janine, it's uh, Elizabeth Tyne, uh, which is a nice name. So they embrace. We cut back to the scene between Kane and Louise. And Kane wants to get him get his killing on, but the degenerations affect him so much. And this is the point where Louise <laughs> has a real, like, you know, smug look on her face. Saying, you, you, ah, Kane, 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 you truly don't understand, do you? 
And she talks about the, the the light and the darkness, how the darkness is a bit better because you can kind of, if you can't beat it, you know, join it and glorify in it. And as much as Kane really wants to kill her, he can't. So um, we cut back to Jacob Raven, who's uh, doing some investigating. Apparently he's been investigating Elizabeth Tyne and, and her connection between Elizabeth Tyne and Janine uh, Magody. Uh, you know, that name. Godby. Godby. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and... Um, he meets up with I think Louise meets up with him, and that basically that's basically sets up that they're going to team up to go after Ben and Kane. Although we get, we get inference that um, he has some suspicions about her himself. So we cut back to Ben and Janine. Uh, ben wanted to show her some empirical evidence of his spider powers and his story because at this point he says, "I am Spider Man." Well, I'm this clone. Well, you know, I'm you know his perfect clone. And um, it's a crazy story, but she actually does believe him and not hate him, as though he feared. Kane's watching all of us saying, you know, I can't believe it. She loves him. Well, he's not going to get away with this. So everything comes to a head at the diner where I don't know what they're doing. I, th- I actually think they're checking out. And uh, Louise and Raven show up. And um, Raven's there to, uh, to uh, uh, ask Elizabeth some questions. Um, but uh, Louise recognizes Ben as the one who interfered in the, the whole uh, Jacob Raven's son kidnapping. So, wanting to save her ass, she pulls a gun on him and says, freeze, you know, he was at the, you know, the kidnapping scene. Uh, ben knows what's going on, so he, like, you know, uh, smacks the gun away and says, don't ever follow us, because he kind of, both both he and Louise know what the, what the bigger picture is. Uh, so, he and Janine drive away uh, towards the slopes, and um, Kane spots them and, like, you know, throws Ben off of the motorcycle and they, they ensue in a big battle. Somehow, <laughs> uh, Louise and Raven have tracked them down on foot, apparently. Because they, they look really far away from Salt Lake City. That's on, on, on the outskirts. So Kane says, I, I'm going to kill you. And Ben says, no, I have something to live for now. So uh, there's a big battle between the two of them. At this point, Louise shows up with her gun because she kind of outruns Raven. And um, in the heat of the battle... Uh, ben dodges her, her gunshot. Kane grabs her face, and uh, it's implied that he snaps her neck because he screams. Although I don't see any snapping sound effects. But what he does do is uh, start, uh, you know, an event which will uh, occur in the trial of Peter Parker by giving her the mark of Kane. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm go ahead. I was gonna say, Don. Uh, it th- he snaps her neck, and then he screams. Okay. There's actually a there's a sound effect snacked as he snaps her neck and then he's the, ah is is Kane screaming. I need some glasses. Um, also, uh, uh, it looks like Ben didn't dodge the gunshot. It looks like Kane pushed him out of the way. At least that's what it looks like to me. But whatever. Well, I don't know. Because um, I'm looking forward to it right now. I, I I guess it can be interpreted either way. Uh, but this is going on too long. So he uh, fries her face with the, the mark of Kane, which I know has been mentioned on this podcast before, but just for context's sake, he's doing his spider ability to, like, you know, like, like, just, like, kind of, you know, stick to her face and kind of squeeze on it, you know, kind of yank it off. It's really graphic. Um, So her face is actually left smoking. Jacob Raven doesn't really appreciate the sight of his partner's dead body, so he pulls his gun on Ben and Janine, you know, but Ben's still, you know, the former Spider-Man, or, you know, his clone at least, and knocks him out and says, you know, if I was really a bad guy, you'd be dead right now. So he and Janine ride off happily ever after, and nothing ever... Nothing bad ever happens to them again. The end. Oh, plus he also he also grows a rather you know vicious beard. Yeah, <laughs> he looks he looks more uh, renegade than ever because he's got the yeah. sunglasses now. Renzo Lampas is Ben Rao. <laughs> so uh, 
uh, that concludes the recap of uh, the Lost Years. Yeah, we uh, three issue miniseries. Let's go with um, let's go with Bertoni. We haven't heard from him yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on this on this arc? And 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 give us your take. They haven't heard from me. I've been here the whole episode making smart comments. All right. Well, I don't I don't know anything unless I look in, into my notes. But uh, <laughs> do they ever say the word Spider Man aside from the title page? Yes, in issue one. Where issue one? Yeah. Just just for, just for a few moments, I was him. I was as he's like leaping over the the, the houses. As he just saved uh, the wife and son. I was Spider Man. Oh, okay. I thought that like they avoided saying the word Spider-Man, but uh, I, as I mentioned on the top, this is a very un-Spider-Man-like story, so that that's very interesting. I remember when I was a kid, I, I knew the Clone Saga because that was like some of the first stuff I ever read. But like it was kind of in the age where like you know you and your friends would get comics and you didn't know the context of what they were. And my friend Chris had like a book called Spider-Man: The Lost Years, and I was like looking through it and like I'm like this isn't Peter Parker and Spider-Man's on the cover, but he's not in the book and like he has a mullet. What the what, what the what the shit is this or whatever? So th- that was interesting. I didn't appreciate this until I was an adult. And this is probably one of the best, if not the best, of the Clone Saga. I think I might like Redemption better, um, but we'll see when we get to it. One of my only complaints is that at the beginning, there's way too many like narration boxes and characters getting introduced to us at a time. Uh, so you have to like kind of like keep up with the story and situation there. But I love how Kane's narration boxes are are like him. They're like very very uh, you know spiky and stuff and falling apart like Kane's psyche. So that was cool. And I like how instead of like you know a big '90s reveal or you know how they would do now with like Louise Kennedy and Kane having sex that you just see the next time you see Louise Kennedy and Kane after sex is she has a cigarette. In her hand, the shit eating grin on her face, out, like a boss. I know, I love that. Like that's the most funniest image in the entire book to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? And for the chronology, people, it's really interesting. Like that, they kind of give a timeline here because he talks about, and they did this during the Clone Saga too. He talks about how this is three years after the Clone Saga, and it's two years before the trial of Peter Parker. Now, during really? these murders, say what? Really. Yeah. During these murders, Peter Parker, like, uh, was buried alive by Craven the Hunter. So this is going on at the same time as Craven's last sunk. Oh, so all, all the Spider-Man kind of had their grim, dark stories at the same time. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but, like, there's, by, by that logic, Craven, Craven's last hunt occurred three years after the Jerry Conway clone saga? Yes. Uh, okay, <laughs> which Which almost fits because he was about to do his last year of college. So then, so then he does his last year of college. That's one year after the Clone Saga. Then one year of graduate school, which is two years after the Clone Saga. And then he has a year of dicking around after graduate school with the Black Cat and you know Gold Notebooks and the Beyonder. And then he and Mary Jane get married. And then it's three years after the Clone Saga. So I could kind of buy that. That's a and. Um, <laughs> This is this is where it gets really nerdy, and um and, and never cite Kevin Smith for anything with Spider Man, but in this case, in Black Cat Evil at Men Do Number One, Felicia says that it's been five years since her and Spider Man broke up, and they broke up right before the wedding and everything at that point. So that means that by the time we get to Evil that Men Do, it's been two years since the Clone Saga by that logic. So you could build a Spider Man timeline, you know, around this book and figure out how long. Peter and Mary have been married and stuff. 
I also seem to recall in Trial of Peter Parker, Mary Jane says that Craven's last hunt happened two years earlier. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that totally fits with this, too. Although I think DeMatteis might have written both stories. Well, I can buy that there was a year of college after the first Clone Saga, and then a year of graduate school, and then a year before the marriage, so that that works for me. Well, the thing about it is, that, like, you know, the years, I mean, it's nobody's fault, really, but, like, the year, after, the year of college after after the Clone Saga, you know, it's relatively simple. And, like, the year, you know, after that is, like, elongated by, like, like a decade. <laughs> yeah, that first year of graduate school was, like, 79 or 80 to, like, 84 or 85, like actually. The arc, or the Wolfman run or something like that. Well, he was in graduate school long after Wolfman left. Well, if you've ever... I mean, Wolfman explained it basically as he put Peter in graduate school because that that's one of those open-ended status quo is I could just go on forever. Because <laughs> a lot of people spend years in graduate school, years. Including Peter like, It was funny, I, I, I knew people that were in graduate school two years before I started, and I, I was in grad school for two years, graduated, those people were still there. Wait, 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 hold on, this is like something that I've never learned about Gerard Delator before. You went to graduate school and finished? Yeah, I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering. You didn't know that? I knew that, yeah. Okay. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> Episode such and such of the Clone Saga Chronicles. I feel like I've mentioned that to you at least a dozen times. <laughs> he helped me with my math homework last year. I mean, I, I knew that you had a degree in something, but I didn't know that you went to graduate school. Oh, yeah, I finished grad school. It was almost four years ago at this point. But the only point the only point I'm trying to make is the the level, amount of time people spend in grad school varies dramatically. So Wolfman's idea was if you put Peter in grad school, he could just basically stay there for the next thirty years and no one will bat an eyelash at it. This, this yeah. is a tangent, but was he was he in college or graduate school in the in the nineties show? He was in college, right? Like, in his seems, degree? I think he was in college, but it seemed a little vague to me. It could have been either. Yeah, I, I think it was college. He was in cause... he was in college, yes. I know at one point in the, in the in the series Bible that said he was like around nineteen years old, but even still, like the way the show kind of the progresses is kind of vague. Parker, <laughs> I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> We're totally derailing the show. Well, no, this, this is Clone Saga Chronicles. We're talking about the timeline implications. Um, one thing that kind of bothered me about the Janine like romance thing is like, and this is like a small nitpick, and I'm not even like a mega Peter Gwen shipper, and I don't want to talk about shippers there, but he's like, yes. You know, it was more real than any relationship I've ever felt, you know, Gwen or Mary Jane. And at that point, like, that Peter and Ben diverge, Peter's barely had a relationship with Mary Jane. They had the one kiss. That's one thing. By the way, this gets contradicted in that 1996 Amazing Annual where like, uh. where Ben Riley as Spider-Man is thinking about Gwen, and he thinks that he's never had a relationship where he's felt as strongly as he did with Gwen. And then here yeah. he says, I feel more strongly about Janine than I did Gwen. But that means that, like... I don't know. It means that this were... Did anybody Matthias write that, too? <laughs> no, that was DeFalco. Oh, that was DeFalco? Yeah, that, that, that's the one where, like, it's back at the Silver Spoon with Craven the Hunter and the Coffee Bean, and, like, and all, all your old friends from Archie and Happy Days are there. Gwen Stacy dies. I don't know. I, I kind of have a problem that, like... Um... Basically, this whole... 
maybe someone else can articulate it better, but does anyone have a problem with the fact that supposedly, like, Ben Riley loved Janine more than Peter ever loved Gwen? I think that, like, it, like the, in terms of, like, the storyline and, you know, how we're introduced to Janine, like, the, the brevity of the, how they're, how fast their romance develops in, like, a week, literally, I think it's a bit pat for the story that he loves her this much. Maybe it's because he's been alone or whatever, but I, 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 I'm not. It's a bit troublesome to, to accept wholeheartedly. I think. Okay, well, but think think about but, the the perspective of which it's written. It's written from the present day, talking about the past. Right. I was just so, going to say that this is five years on, or what was it? Th- three years on. I mean, or yeah, whatever the hell time Josh just laid out. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, it's it's a couple years afterwards. They, he's gone through everything he's went through with Janine, so he looks at it with a different perspective than maybe he did at the time of... Because that's, that's his first love that he's had that's not related to Peter Parker. I think when yeah, you look at it with that... I don't know, that, that's a dicey explanation. Yeah. Though. Well, it's I don't have a problem with him having a deep relationship with her, but I have a problem with them comparing it to his relationship with Gwen and saying that he loves her more than, like, than like he as Peter Parker loved Gwen. That would be... It's basically putting like you know this new relationship over this very very iconic and long one. That would be like oh, you've just met this character for like one issue. That's I don't true. know if I, mean, I if I introduced um, a new love interest for Superman and said like this is deeper than anything I ever felt, even for Lois Lane. Like see, but here's the, that would be but here's the thing, Josh. Yeah, but here's the thing, Josh. You're you're looking at it from the perspective of this is the story where he's saying this years ahead of time after they drove off on the road together. I'm assuming from the the point of reading this, he hadn't written any further, you know, gap stories well, yet. This is the actual dialogue in the comic. Um, this is when they're making out outside the door. I, I know, but the, I'm so I'm saying the implication is he's looking back on it, and ninety percent of their relationship we haven't seen yet because it happens after they drive off at the end of issue three. Well, he does say though a week. Yeah, of he, magic. he refers to it like like that week, and that week like they grew. Like more loving than him and I Gwen never, did. I, 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 I apostrophe D. I never known anything like it. Not with Mary Jane. Not even with Gwen. It's spoken in the past tense in reference to that scene during the week. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Could, you know, that's that's could, one. It could be, be rose colored glasses. You gave it a back. shot. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, I still think there's a, a matter of this is my girl at the time, so that's the shit I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean... It's it's sort of like if you're sitting there with your wife, and she brings up your three past girlfriends or something, you're like, oh, I I love... My intensity of my love for you is more than any of those other... Where you're sort of like, that's because that's the relationship you're in now. (laughs) That's because you don't want to sleep on the couch. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. He's thinking about Janine that way, because in context of when he's speaking back, Janine is his girl at that point in time. Yeah, I just—I don't know. And, and and anyway, I mean, I guess you can pick which one, which feeling is quote unquote more in continuity because he contradicts it, like you know, next year in that '96 annual. I guess the point is, it's a it's an unreliably subjective narration point of view where you just can't. Right. It it is like, like you're, you're thinking of it factually, where it's like oh, he was with you know blah blah blah. He's thinking of it as oh my my Janine. Oh, I loved her more than I you know. <laughs> I'm, whoever he I'm loves the most that. is who he's thinking about at that present time. Which, exactly. like, which, like, <laughs> which actually, like, the thing about Janine, she's very, very much, um, and I, I know we we can't get too much into, like, you know, redemption and everything. We're going to concentrate on the story's hand, but 
Like, his feelings for her are only intense when she's, like, around right in front of him. Like, I don't remember her being mentioned that much in, like, the regular Spider-Man books. And, in fact, um, you know... Um, <laughs> right. Well, dip into redemption. There's <laughs> a reason for it. To dip into redemption, you know, for a minute. Like, you know, he sees her again at redemption, they're reunited, and then she leaves. Oh, it's his heartbroken friend. What's he going to do? Nope. <laughs> that very same month, there's a Spider-Man Unlimited book that comes out, which takes place later chron- chronologically, where he's dating Betty Brandt. And, like, there's no thought to, like, oh, Janine, who's in prison, who I love, who I can't wait for her to get out. Why am I betraying her by dating this slut Leeds woman? <laughs> <laughs> this episode couldn't go down a cameo by Betty Brandt. <laughs> are you really, are, are you really are, wait hold on are you really holding continuity to something that happened in a, the Spider Man Unlimited issue are you for real <laughs> I think we, I think we've established at this point those Spider Man Unlimited issues take place in some alternate reality <laughs> where, ter- where terrible terrible things or terrible things are considered like good comics that people want to write well yeah the, but in any case the Janine thing even after the series I don't remember them. If this is his, like, you know, I loved her more than Gwen Stacy, you know, where's her fucking floating head? You know, when he... (laughs) The floating head of Janine. Her her, her floating head exists only in the mind of the man who wrote her, which is J.M.D. Mateus. Nobody else probably gave a damn about the character except him. Yeah, that's true. I like... Think to bed, if you flip back through all those old stories, you don't see him pining over Betty or whatever the hell chick was living in that building with him. That showed up for three issues. He had, like, two or three dates with Betty, and, like, and it was at the very end of the Clone Saga. He died, like, the month after he got together with Betty, because she has, you know, the kiss of death. (laughs) And and that girl in the building, like, you know, what happened with her? They flirted, and then, like, you know... She Gabrielle was, Greer, she was in a backup. Basically, she was only written by Terry Gavinoff. Like, well, she comes back in the Scarlet Spider issues, like, for that month, if I recall. Yeah, like, for, like, one, one like, cameo. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's her, and then there's, um, uh, what's her, uh, Jessica Carradine. So, mm-hmm. Ben Riley has his, you know, like, girlfriends, but they, 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 not, they're, not, they're not floating head material. It's not even so much Ben Riley has his own girlfriends, it has each writer writing Ben Riley has their own pet character girlfriend. J.M. DeMatteis equals Janine. You know, Dan Jurgens equals Jessica Carradine, etc. Right, 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 right. So, Okay, so besides that one quibble about Janine, because we spent 20 minutes talking about it. We did. This, this Ooh, is what? good shit. This is why people <laughs> tune into Clone Saga Chronicles. Zach, I sense some anger in your voice. You want to vent? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can, I, I, I'm needing the skin right now. I can feel it. All right, anyway. Let I like seeing well up inside of you. I like the scene where Raven, he has his hand on the glass of the hospital room, and then, like, you know, you see, like, through the light uh, that Ben Riley has his son in his hands, and he's also pressing against the glass, and I thought I thought that that was a good emotional payoff to the scene of uh, Raven, you know, having his quote-unquote conversation with God, and at, at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, too, like, he's like, huh, I'm not going to see my son in this hospital room, no siree, as it, like, smash cuts to his son getting kidnapped because his cop father wasn't in the hospital room. So it was his fault in the first place. But I yeah. like the scene of them going fishing together afterwards because it's kind of some emotional resolution to that storyline because he was worried about how his relationship with his son would be now that his wife was dead and would he be able to spend time with his son without thinking of his wife. So it kind of shows you that they got a happy ending until, you know, Raven gets the mark of Cain in the clone. I want to ask you, Josh. 
here. Did you have a problem with how his wife is just sort of stuffed in the fridge in this story? Uh, why would I, out of curiosity? <laughs> no, just just curious, because people tend to have a hair trigger about this kind of stuff. It seems yeah. like she's only she's only there to, to be killed off, dispatched, yeah, and make some drama. It, it's a cop cliche, but I mean, nothing about it particularly bothered me, I guess, you know? it's It, it created conflict, you know, and as a result, it made him make mistakes with his son that he had to resolve, and then you get the payoff of the scene of them together fishing at the end. So, I mean, I guess it didn't bother me too much. Okay. Although I, I would think that, like, he'd be a little madder at Louise because she was involved in the murder of his wife, but it's all being told through, like, Dear Diary retrospectives years later. The, the narration's kind of confusing like that. Like, I keep, I kept on forgetting that this wasn't in present tense. Uh, I'm going to let someone else um, raise some talking points. Those are my main ones. All right, Don, we'll go to you. Well, this, I've actually only read this story twice. Once when I got the trade in, once for the show. And uh, kind of like Josh, the history of this, this story that I have is that, like, this is always like the story, the Spider-Man story, like the Lost Years. Always saw, I remember that cover of number one with, you know, Ben doing the Bruce Willis, you know, no, in front of the explosion kind of thing. And that, there's my dad. And, um... I remember, you know, it just never looked like a Spider-Man story to me, so I actively didn't really want to read it because it just didn't look like my cup of tea. Now that you know I'm an adult and I can appreciate such sophistication as motorcycles and women, um, <laughs> I I do enjoy it. I mean, uh, reading it again, this is this is very much of his time. I mean, I don't think you can, I don't think you can really, you know, not hang a lantern on the fact that this is an extremely. But I would say this is a this is a bit later than like in the heyday of motorcycles and sunglasses and criminals. Um, I think, but but even still, again, I think that like Dimitrius is such a quality writer that like he kind of goes beyond that because it's used for the story. Like Ben really is that kind of loner who's looking for his you know his existential place in the world. And Kane, what I really like about this is like there's 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 deeper themes going on here which I don't think are really explicit in the story. Like I love the dual nature of you know having a story kind of told by both Kane and Ben. You know they're kind of going through the same thing. Like in the scene where. Ben's making out with uh, Janine. On the next page, you have Kane making out with uh, Louise. And, like, you know, they're kind of going the same thing. Kane's a lot more of a stronger turmoil. But they're all kind of like, they all kind of have their, you know, their dark spots and their, and their loss of faith. And, you know, they're wondering how they can possibly exist. And they don't think they, they can really go, go beyond what they are. And that's really, that's really, really good stuff. Um, I think that, like, the other characters are fleshed out enough to work well. He have Rape and, like, the cop, the good cop. I have uh, Janine, who's like basically the love interest, but like they're all kind of given like you know these these they're all given a lot of characterization to make you care about them. Like you care what's going on. They're not just filling a role. I, I actually think that like the most interesting character in this whole story is possibly Louise, and um, even then I I would say that she's probably not the strongest character in terms of like uh, fleshing out because I think you know it, it, it makes sense for there to be a dirty cop. I think that there's like you know very little. After her whole season, you know, looking at the stars with Kane, so, you know, talking about lightness and darkness. Oh, she's oh she's bad, okay. There's not enough, for me at least, enough to kind of sink your teeth into exploring why that is. And I think that, like, with this kind of story and the way they kind of told the stories of these characters, you kind of want to know why that is. But at the same time, I think I think uh, this story had a lot of fun with her. I, I actually really like the looks, looks on her face. It's like, like, like when she's, like, you know... Having that after go look, look, she has this big grin on her face. I love the look of her. Uh, I think it's when Kane's yelling at her on the third issue, and she kind of says, "Oh, Kane, Kane, Kane." I mean, it's really well done. I mean, these characters. I think for me to 
this is this is this is this is a vintage Ramita Jr. Obviously, this is '90s Ramita Jr. Where basically this is all he wanted to draw. I don't want to say that, but like you know, he clearly had fun writing this and and the Man Without Fear and you know Power Mackey's Peter Parker run, where like it was just dudes and guns and breaking glass and you know punching people at night and stuff. But it works, you know. It's 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 very successful at what it does. Josh had told about it before. There's not. This this purposefully avoids a lot of Spider Man's tropes. I think Spider Man's only mentioned in name once, if maybe if even that. Um, Ben's immediately unmasked if he gets beat up. It's very very anti superhero, but the themes of it stay true, which makes it a, a, an enjoyable Spider Man story. Ben does you know he just has it in him to stop these criminals and talks about power and responsibility in a way that doesn't feel contrived. You know, even Kane, he's trying to he's just so. He's just so into like this darkness and this, you know, the pit of his guts, but he still wants to kind of kind of find lightness in whatever it is, be that you know a woman or whatever it is, and like he he feels bad that it's not there. So there's a lot of like really kind of tropey things going on in this book upon second reading, but the good writing and like you know the the, the, the thematic elements hold up well enough that it still remains a really well told Spider-Man story. And honestly, I really wish there were more Spider-Man stories told like this. All right, Gerard. Follow that up. Uh, so, yeah, I know, right? I, this is going to shock you, Zach. I have nothing bad to say about this. <laughs> I'm going bl- to blow so much sunshine up this book. You're going to wonder who you're talking to. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can articulate this well, because Don hit a lot of the, the, the points that I really wanted to make. So I'll just, this will primarily be in support of what he had to say. But uh, first and foremost, fantastic 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 artwork and it almost goes without saying at this point we've mentioned it many times the very moody atmospheric artwork and the the nighttime scenes with all the rain and and stuff in in his in Romita Jr's inimitable style i mean he does this better than anyone alive i think uh very well done i have to give a nod to the coloring as well this is an era where the coloring in Marvel books was a little was a little strange. In fact, a lot of the artists of this era tend to look back and actually talk down to the coloring a lot. They weren't very fond of it from here until about 2000, I think. There, there's a sort of backlash against the style of coloring that they had in the books in this era, but I don't have a problem with it. I think it works here. It's a little too uh, it's a little too bloomy. That I think that has to do with the fact that they were still printing on newsprint a lot of the time. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you, how it looks in the new Clone Saga trades because I assume those are glossy pages, right? Uh, no, the, the, the Clone Saga trades. I mean, I would say it's glossy. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's kind of half and half. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not. A, it's not an overly overtly glossy trade. Okay. Because this is the trade I have is still. It's not quite newsprint, but it's not. There's no gloss to it. It's sort of a. How can I, be? I I can't even really describe it. It's sort of halfway between old newsprint paper and modern gloss paper. I don't know. Somewhere halfway, but the point is that it looks a little dated, but I'm willing to accept it because it, it fits the story very well. Um, Klaus Jansen had reined it in at this point. This is before he went complete, like, yeah. scratchy poo, can't <laughs> draw a line that connects to another line without having the Fingernails overlap. Fingernails on the paper ink. Yes, <laughs> very well said. This is this is uh, this is Jansen doing his best Tom Palmer. <laughs> if, I, if I could, like, that's really the way I could describe it. Very very good artwork. Um, I really really like the way this was written. It was sort of written with 
we keep saying that it's two parallel sort of stories between Ben and Cain, but not really. It's more like three, because there's also a lot of Jacob Raven narration in here. And I have to sort of ding the... this. Okay, I said I didn't have any complaints. I have a very, very minor complaint here, which is that on some... Because they gave each of their narrations three different styles. Ben's narration is in rounded boxes with light green coloring and sort of kind of handwritten looking lettering. That's kind of Kane's how they was it. in jagged yellow boxes with kind of do it with. They do that with the, uh, that version of narration is how they would do Ben Riley's narration throughout the rest of the clone saga. I remember that. Yeah. And then Jacob Ravens is in rounded boxes with, with a sort of light blue tint. So you can always tell who's doing what. But there are pages sometimes where overlapping bits of narration are miscolored, at least in this original trade. Can't really say for sure how it is in newer printings, if they've corrected it. Probably not, but you never know. Uh, best example I can use is in the, in the scene where it goes from Raven's son being kidnapped to... Ben Riley and Janine outside of her apartment. There's a bit where it's like, you know, broken and wounded. It's in the, you know, Raven narration. Then the next page continues Raven narration for one caption, but it's miscolored. So that kind of thing doesn't detract from the story, though. You could pick it out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that they, it stays in the trade. It's, it's like that in the trade. Okay. But the point, the point is you're following three different narrative paths that are all being told in retrospect past tense at the same yet, time at the same time but it's not overwhelming is this, this isn't like uh what's the best way to describe it this isn't like early 2000s chris claremont where you just wanted to to take a brick and smash his keyboard so he doesn't do any more narration because he's overdoing it i thought this narration actually adds to the story <laughs> people might argue with me on this one but i don't know i i felt like it 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 managed to just reach enough where it still worked without going overboard. And I thought that was a somewhat novel approach, especially for a Spider-Man book. Because Spider-Man comics almost always have Spider-Man's narration and, and possibly a third-person omniscient once in a while. But rarely do you ever get three different parallel characters doing narration but anyway that's probably the most that we were covering like a like you know back during the beginning of the clone saga it was all narration true like peter true. and mary jane uh you know getting jiggy with it while doc Ock watched through the windows thinking <laughs> oh, that will be me in a few years well that's okay spider-man you're really trying to make me flip bad again i know what you're doing no no <laughs> no it's, um, it's best when it comes naturally yeah, and, and it does here, at least. And the whole plot line is primarily character-driven, which is something Don hit on, but m most of the action is just sort of generic Ben Riley punching thugs sort of stuff. And the primary thrust of the storytelling is telling how these characters became the characters that we see in the modern comics. With the exception of Janine, because I mean, when I say modern comics, I mean the ones taking place in the present day of the clone saga, not the five years in the past or three years or however, where you sort of see where Ben's sensibilities developed. You see how Kane became the sort of monster that we see because at the beginning of this story, he's a different character. 
Mm-hmm. And then you see, you know, sort of the the genesis of of Jacob Raven's, you know, drive to catch, you know, to get to nail these guys for what they did and that kind of stuff. And it even sort of lays out to the modern Scarlet Spider book where you see the origin of of Kane's feelings for Luis and what he did and how late years later he would come to regret it, things like that, which. I don't know. It, I always keep comparing it back to Man Without Fear, because again, J.R. Jr. drew both stories, but I think it, it, it is very similar in that Man Without Fear was also about the sort of parallel development of the hero and his primary villain, and how we see them become who they are in the stories that we're reading in in such a way that it sort of informs those stories that sort of have always referred back to things that happened without ever telling you. This story was the payoff that tells you how those things got there. This is, this is, yeah. no, this is no wild whip where they bring it up and they say, oh, we'll tell you that story one day, and they don't. This right. Is, this, 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 is, this is telling you every single bit of what happened that led in. This, this story really pays off the trial of Peter Parker. And I find that impressive for only three issues in the mid nineties. Yes. <laughs> whereas it, whereas today this would be a this would be a ten issue miniseries. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. it would end inconclusively. <laughs> <laughs> well and I, what do you think about them leaving the thread up to like what happened to Janine? Uh, I think that was intentional be, in in the sense that they were planning to spin this off into multiple minis at this point. Yeah, uh, and I'll the plan the plan that. sort of the plan sort of got picked off the vine after this because when they went back to Peter Parker being Spider Man, it sort of blew up their plan. Yeah, whoops. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, um, we haven't assigned any grades to any of this stuff. I don't think. But we, well, yeah, we're gonna do that at the very that? end. Okay. Uh, I was gonna jump in. I was gonna get my thoughts right quick, and then we'll we'll give our grades. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, I think I've, right, I think I've just about said everything. Okay. Okay, I just want to make sure you were you were done before I started. Um, all right, so I'm going to kind of read a little bit from Life of Riley because this kind of gets into the what you've discussed with the whole how they were going to spin this off and everything. So, uh, Glenn Greenberg comments it's part ten of, of Life of Riley for following along. So, quote. Spider-Man The Lost Years began in Danny Fingeroff's office. I believe it was Danny who put the creative team together and got the whole thing rolling. When Bob Bulansky came on as Spider-Man editor-in-chief. He integrated his staff, including um, Glenn Greenberg, Tom Brevoort, and associate editor Sarah Mazoff, into the Spider-Man group, and some projects were shuffled. She ended up getting Sarah ended up getting the Lost Years and put it out, although she shared the editor credit with Danny. This was John Romina Jr.'s big return to the Spider-Man group after pencil, penciling the three-part Parker Legacy storyline that ran as a backup in the Spider-Man books a few months earlier. This was very appropriate as it was a sequel to Parker Legacy and essentially picks up where Parker Legacy left off and continues the story of Ben's early days in exile. J.R. and DeMatteis were a great team and this story played to both of their strengths. I'm sure J.R. would have preferred to actually draw Spider-Man in full costume, but he's so great at drawing gritty, down-to-earth crime drama stuff that it really doesn't hurt the story at all that Ben never dons a real superhero outfit. It's nice to finally learn what went down between Ben, Kane, and Jacob Raven years earlier. DiMatteis did a terrific job tying it all together and providing an intriguing backstory to the present-day trial of Peter Parker storyline. Glenn was particularly taken aback with Janine, and he wanted to see more of her, or at least find out what happened to her. Lost Years was great with a top-notch creative team, and 
The editor wanted to turn it into a whole new franchise. It'd be the continuing saga of Ben Riley's years on the road. He'd be out of costume, but it's still inevitably end, ending up having to use his powers or to help protect the innocent, because with great power must come great responsibility. Once or twice a year, we would have, do a quote-unquote lost years project, each by a different creative team, to fill in the missing chapters of Ben Riley's life. At this point, everyone was really was apparently committed to the idea of Ben as the one true original Spider-Man. I really don't think he would have planned an entire franchise around a character that he knew was going to eventually he was going to eventually debunk. So that actually you know speaks to they were going to do like once every or twice a year for the next mm-hmm. you know however many years. Um, uh, Zach, how long after this did Redemption come out? A Redemption came out like a couple of like it came out like right before Revelations. So probably a year later. Okay. Um, Tom, uh, Tom and Glenn ended up doing together one Lost Years project, but not the way they originally intended. It ended up being the four-issue limited series called Redemption. It was the direct sequel of Lost Years, but primarily set in the present day. So, Because so, I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to figure out the timeline of when DiMatteis would have been writing this. Re- Redemption, I mean. And whether or not it would have, what do you think it would have started as a lost years thing and sort of mutated into a present day story? Well, Demetrius, he was writing this probably along the same time as uh, probably around Blood Brothers when they got the basically the stay of execution when they were because Blood Brothers was going to be the, the final arc. And then they pushed it back for onslaughts. Probably around the time that onslaught pushed it back again. Don't, I would think. <laughs> don't. Never mind. I, I, yeah. I can answer my own question like a fool here. In his introduction to the Lost Years trade, he says he's writing the last chapter of Redemption while he was writing this introduction, which was June of 1996. Oh, huh? Don't. <laughs> don't. So yeah, he didn't start writing Redemption until they had already decided to. To yeah, get rid of Ben, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Never and we'll mind. get we'll get into that backstory, obviously, with Life of Riley um, when we get to the redemption. But I wanted to kind of get that was I think that was the only snippet of of Life of Riley that mentioned Lost Years in exclusive detail. So, um, yeah, my thoughts are this, man. I'm going to echo a lot of the sentiments that are that have been said in this podcast already. It's a fantastic art, top notch art team. Uh, Demetrius just has a knack for these characters, and there was nobody better to write this book. Um, out of everybody, I think he was the one that was probably the most excited to write Ben Riley as as, uh, as the Spider Man sole Spider Man character, and it shows with this miniseries. This miniseries absolutely is just a gem. In my opinion, it's the best, uh, the very best book of the Clone Saga. Chris Yost has been on record saying that it was a big inspiration for the current series. I've, I've gone back to that several times in this, in this podcast, but when you read it, you understand why. A lot of the development of Kane actually came. It's so impressive how much de- development there was with these three issues, and, and just to get into the psyche of Kane. The, the narration is interesting because it's written you know, as, a, as a memoir, which doesn't happen in Spider-Man comics that often. That you're having somebody talking about it in the present day of a past uh, book. And so to structure a miniseries around it is very impressive. I, I just think you couldn't... Uh, I really don't... I, Josh alluded to this, I think, at the very beginning. 
I don't think you could have written this with Peter Parker. Um, at all. You would have to dramatically, like, change the status quo of Peter Parker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this just absolutely rings... And I mean, and there's... Uh, subtle things like uh, there's a callback to to the uh, to the Ramita Ditko days or Ramita Ditko days the Ramita Lee days where we you know Ben's on a motorcycle well Ben learned to ride a motorcycle because oh, Peter Parker that's, that's oh, I mean that's, that's a bit of a stretch <laughs> yeah that, that's grasping for straws no but but I mean I mean he, he, yeah I mean he originally if he would have said like, like oh like, it, this reminds me of my college days or something but that would be like oh and He's using a spoon here, and he used a spoon in the Ramita days, too. Uh, well, I mean, I mean he, like, he's okay. driving a vehicle, you know. He's, he's driving a vehicle that was primarily only seen driven by Peter Parker in the early, in the Ramita, Lee Ramita days. I mean, you don't see him driving it around in the 90s or, or even the 80s, really, that much. So I thought that was a nice touch. Um, I think it's more of like the, you know, the man on the run thing. The man on the run scenarios always have a guy in a motorcycle. That's because true. it's more cool. Even though it's a very impractical way to be on the run because you can't put a lot of suitcases on them, but, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then, then again, does Peter Parker even have a driver's license? Um, He he had one as of the JMS run. Okay. He had but a he didn't have too. The fact but he didn't a, have one. Yeah, the fact he's a crappy driver seems to have come up many times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a great driver, but um, I mean, honestly, I mean, he he did he didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. He had this little moped motorcycle during the Lee Ramita run. So um, there's also the callback when he's at the like uh, the restaurant and the waitress, uh, like Janine's friend, says, "You're going out with Ben Riley. He doesn't know a cha-cha from a waltz." <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember nice. that one. Nice. Well played with the nineties. Nineties. Uh, what do you mean nineties? Anyway. From the sixties? No, that was AS. That was Amazing Fantasy fifteen. Yeah. Oh God! Oh my God! <laughs> yes, well the nineties when everyone was doing cha chas and waltzes. <laughs> you remember? That was the, that was the, op- the opening splash page. Yeah, Peter oh, Parker, Beanie Babies. Okay, oh, I, Janine, have a I was wondering if you'd like to go out with me for the um temp time, Mister Riley. You're not my type. Why with Dreamboys with Dreamboys like uh, Jacob Raven hanging around? Huh, I like your taste, doll. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well that line really well gets to me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just like the douchiest thing. You <laughs> I like your taste, doll. <laughs> I'm just grabbing her ass. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, continuing my thoughts on this particular issue and not derailing to Amazing Fantasy 15 references. Um, honestly, I... Yeah, shut up. <laughs> anyway, the I absolutely just absolutely think that this is... When I tell people what the Clone Saga, the, the best of the Clone Saga, I point to this miniseries and, and I say, this is this is the potential you could have had with this character. And it just really... it may, it, it makes me a little melancholy in the sense that I, I know that this is the potential that you could have had with a Ben Riley series, and yet we never were gonna, ever going to get that because of because of you know forces beyond the control of, of the writers in this miniseries. So, um, you know, honestly, it, it's just I've read it probably twenty times since I've gotten the trade. Um, it, it, it's probably one of my favorite stories of the trades, and so definitely would be a recommended. Guys, let's let's kind of wrap this up with some grades. Uh, we'll start with uh, Josh. I'll give it a C plus. A C plus, okay. 
Yeah, for completely awesome, because it's an A+. Plus. Uh, I was going to see if anyone would get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys I was, suck. Nobody questioned my C+. Plus. You were like, I, I oh, okay. The way out. I the way no, out. no, I was I was balling up my fist and preparing to uh, <laughs> well, yeah, get my yeah, weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, uh, Mr. Weaponizer, uh, to himself, Gerard, what's your, what's your grade? Oh, come on, I'm giving this an A+. Plus. This is my favorite story of the, of the Clone Saga by far. Well, okay. well, okay, the ASM 400 is close, but absolutely 100% gem, love it, recommend it, go go find it in some form or another. All right, so Donovan, your turn. I'm actually going to, be, like, going to be the lowest grade uh, of the group, I'm not kidding here, and giving it an A. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, I'm going to give it A minus. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to give it an A plus. Um, I mean, it's consistent. I mean, a consistent A all around for for this entire panel. This this is this is the episode I think we were all kind of almost all looking forward to, simply because we knew that this was going to be a great miniseries. So, yeah, I mean, uh, this came out around the same time as uh, as as the greatest responsibility. So we we kind of wanted to get this out now, and uh, we'll go from there because we got a lot of failure coming up. <laughs> oh yeah. It's only downhill from here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once we get to sensational. Yeah, I think I think when we get to when we get past the 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 craptacular part one and craptacular part two, also known as the Scarlet Spider Month. Yeah, again, I I've not read those, so no spoilers. Cause I want I want to hear what's really crazy about these. Oh God! Oh God! Cyber War and, and Virtual Mortality. Cyber <laughs> War, Virtual Mortality. <laughs> and Part 3, Beanie Babies. In Atomic <laughs> Beanie Babies. That was so 1998. Isn't there... There's a toy... There's like a Toy Story uh, Spider-Man issue, too. Like, it's, it's a one-shot. Yeah, there's like a toy... Like, not, not like Toy Story, like Toy Story, but like there's a story with Spider-Man and toys. That was an ASM issue. I think Delilah was in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, you got a friend in me. Yeah, his name is Ben Riley. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Those are probably excellent. Paid, paid, paid off. Yeah, that that was the, the, the well played there, yeah. with Tony. All right, guys. So, any other any other, any other final thoughts? Before we wrap this, better uh, savor this good stuff while we can, which is like not too much longer. Yeah, it's a it's so, a pity we it's a pity we won't ever see Louise again because she was a great character. It's yeah, a pity. it's a well, pity that the guy's last name was Tannen and nobody made the obvious Back to the Future jokes during the episode. A uh, nice, nice. It's too lazy. No, no Biff. Tannen. I, I, w- I was waiting for the manure joke in somebody's recap or something or. The make like a tree and get out of here, something like that. And that wraps up the episode. We got some bloopers next here on Clone Sign Chronicles, the podcast. The so lawsuit number one in this issue. Uh, wait, I'm not recapping this issue. I think we have derailed Zach so many times that his brain stopped working. We have to okay. restart. Okay, here's the story of a truck driver who had a heart attack in the rain. Because John Romita Jr. loves to draw rain. And then Ben Riley saves him with his mullet. Because there's 90s and a 90s mullet. <laughs> and he's on a motorcycle because it's the 90s. Kane's drinking beer because he's bad. And he beats up a pimp. 
This guy has a twin, but we don't know it. Um, Zach, do you recap any second now? His brain stopped working and his body started bleeding. <laughs> it's, wor- it's worse than that. His brain is gone. <laughs> ben Riley's like, boy, what I wouldn't give for a bagel, as long as it's not served by a waitress who looks just like Mary Jane. Say, can you turn around, Miss? I'm afraid it's just a... Is, is she throwing out like a southern accent in this thing? Maybe I'm stereotyping. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, now. Yeah, time, dude, come on. God, I've been, sitting, I've been sitting here talking for 20 minutes, man. Seriously. And you didn't realize that I was doing nothing to interrupt this, this fucking pandemonium that was erupting. God, I was like going, what the hell is going on? So anyway, alright. I've so. lost control of my show. It's called a boner thing. What is with you in songs for freaking sitcoms today? You're saying that you're saying that like it's a bad thing. Okay. What, was, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, the Brady Bunch, right? The Brady Bunch when I, my microphone wasn't working. Yeah, yeah, that went on. I was like, please interrupt me. I'm running out of some synopsis. And that wraps up the 26th episode of Clone Side Chronicles, the podcast. Leave us a comment on Facebook, like us, or follow us on Twitter at Clone Side Chronicles. You can also email us at Clone Chronicles at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 818-9-CLONE-1 or, spelled out numerically, 818-925-6631. Leave us a voicemail and we'll play it here on the show. So, very excited to do that. And keep following, uh, keep looking at spidey-dude.com. We've got some very exciting things happening for our 15th anniversary coming up next month. So, check us out. Be sure, to, be sure to keep up with us on Facebook as well, so we'll keep uh, posting videos and updates as time goes by. So, we'll see you next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles, the podcast, where we're going to cover the Craptacular, part one. Yes, Scarlet Spider month one. Amazing, spectacular, sensation... Oh, no, wait, excuse me. Amazing, web of, adjectiveless, and the spectacular Scarlet Spider number one, along with the most infamous issue of that month, Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one. So, finally, Donovan will find out what happens in that infamous issue. So, if you're not confused already with the storyline, get ready to be more confused. We'll see you next time here on Clone Spider Chronicles. Powered by spidey